Welcome to Show Me Something Wrong. Where each episode, one of us chooses a movie to watch that the other hasn't seen. The movie is often obscure, usually odd, and always wrong. I'm Dave. And I'm Guy. And today I've chosen the movie, and it is... Ido by Kei Fujiwara. I feel like... What have you done, guy? I know. I feel like I've really thrown a spanner into the works here <laughs> because I felt like we were on a roll. I feel like we were, doing, we were doing pretty good over the last few episodes. We had a good thing going and I've gone and chosen the most difficult film to talk about. Yeah. And I just was, fucked it up for everyone. Yeah. It was a bit rough. Um, yeah. <laughs> I as, Almost instantly, like, almost maybe like the first five minutes, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, I watched this last night. I was a bit hungover. I felt I was exhausted after a long day of work, and it was I was not in the mood for this. Uh, so it was very hard, very hard mm. to make sense of. Not saying I didn't like it, but yeah, all I could think about was like, "Fuck, how are we going to talk about this?" Yeah, that so first... that's all over to you. You're just going to talk for the whole time, and I'll just yeah nod occasionally. Yeah, it's, it's one of those I really wanted to talk, but I really wanted you to watch as well. So this would be a great, like, platform to do that on. But um, just, yeah, trying to make sense of this, um, that, like you said, the five minutes in, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. That feeling does not let up. No. This is a 90 minute, my 90 minutes of what the hell am I watching? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's so hard to make sense of. But before mm. we get into that, mm. let's talk about the director. Yes. Kei Fujiwara. Let's have a bit of... K Fujiwara Appreciation Hour. Should we play like a song there? Can you can you just, we just sing the words K Fujiwara for like? Alright, ready. Three, <laughs> two, one. <laughs> <laughs> That's my trick. You can't do that. Oh, I'm sorry. So K Fujiwara, um, instantly recognizable as the other half of Tetsuo the Iron Man. Hmm. She was part of Shinya Tsukamoto's initial theater group, uh, Kaiju Theater. They worked together on a number of uh, projects: the Phantom of Regular Size, the uh, what's that, the uh, Adventures of Electric Rod Boy, and then finally Tetsuo the Iron Man, the fucking ultimate magnum opus, if you will. Was that it for the collaboration? That was it, because during the making of Tetsuo, they were at each other's throats. They both had such strong creative visions that they were just fighting constantly throughout it. And apparently it was such an intense shoot that all the other members of staff quit. Wow. And they were both just essentially kind of fighting for what they thought was best for the film. It wasn't about like who's more in charge, who's doing this or that. It was like, this is what needs to be done for this project. You've read that book by Tom Mess, right? A long time ago. I know you're not a fan of him, but... Um, I actually quite like that book, because mm. that, that book is basically just interviews with Tsukamoto, right? Mm, basically. And and also Kei Fujiwara. Right, right, yeah. It's been a long time since I've read it, but I no, I did really enjoy that book. Mm. I don't like his Mikkei book so much. Right. Just because um, I disagree with a lot of his opinions on <laughs> Mikkei films. <laughs> it's kind of hard to avoid, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. being a Mikkei fan, buying uh, lots of, like, uh, Third Window yeah, editions, Arrows, it's all Tomez, right? I don't think... Has anyone else written a book about Mikkei other than him? Not that I know of. <laughs> Are there? There, there, there must has be been, some. but not to, to, not to such an extent that Tom Mez is for. Anyway, bit of off topic. 
back to back to Kay and and Tetsuo. What is her credit on Tetsuo? So the, the thing is, Tetsuo was filmed in Kay Fujiwara's apartment. Right. She did lots of the cinematography. She did lots of the set design. She was one of the main characters. Um, she was a, a huge, huge, huge part in the making of Tetsuo. So when these two, um, these two being Tsukamoto uh, Shinya and her, had like opposing opinions, they would fight it out basically. Mm-hmm. And it got, it got. So, so what did she do in Tetsuo? She did a lot. She wasn't credited as one thing. She did yeah. pretty much everything. Uh, although prim- ultimately he was given the director's credit. Yeah, you know, it's his vision in the end. But there are lots of kind of arguments that she was actually. She had the stronger creative vision amongst the pair, right? And she actually brought more to the film than he did. I'm not saying that's my opinion, but there are these arguments. One one of the examples being the uh, infamous drill penis. Mm. So apparently, this is according to comp- t- according to Tom Mess. Right? <laughs> can't yeah. can't say how how reliable he is, but. Uh, <laughs> The drill scene, uh, apparently uh, Shinya was saying, you know, we'll, we'll just film it, we'll make it look like it's moving. And she was like, no, can't do that. We need to make it move. So she had a, an electric fan, which she disassembled and used the motor to create a rotationary drill cock. And right. then was birthed this incredible drill penis scene. So there's lots of these things that she was able to contribute to the making of Tetsuo. Um, and I think if she was not a part of that film, as well as just his theatre group and the other films that she was involved in, involved in, um, would not have been as good. Yeah, I think she's such a fantastic creative person, mm. and pretty much everything she's done, I'm kind of in awe of. I sure. think as a person, she's quite incredible. Mm. It's also like that's kind of a good comment on um, like auteurism as well. Mm. Like, you know, a film is not by one person. No. Like, directors obviously have their stamps, but no matter what, like, it's, you know, being influenced by the other people working on it. And that's just like an extreme version of it, right? Yeah. And I I think when you watch Tetsuo, Tetsuo, it feels like, to me, like a perfect amalgamation of their styles and mm. leanings. They're quite... Their own films outside of that are quite different. Very. Um, and you look at the Tetsuo sequels as well, mm, which don't different. include Kei Fujiwara, and yeah. they're very different. Mm. Are they as good? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I know you love Tetsuo too. I'm I lo- not yeah, I've got a soft spot but... for that, because that was one of the first like mm. Japanese films I watched, I think. Mm. Um, and I and I love Tsukamoto. Like, my, my favourite mm. film probably of all time is Tokyo Fist. Mm. Uh, and I love pretty much almost everything he's done is mm. fantastic. So yeah, but that, but Tetsuo does feel like a collaboration. It does. It does. The two. And I think she was a huge, huge, huge part of that. So during the production of Tetsuo, they were just not getting on well, mm. but for the greater good of the film, they made it work. They filmed in her apartment, all the cats in Tetsuo, they are also phase cats. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because um, I'll, I'll, I'll say this at the end about my experience when I met her, because she's actually a very fascinating person. Mm. And she's been um, rescuing stray cats forever, essentially. Sounds like my kind of person. She is quite incredible. So after the they disbanded, she quit his theatre group and she created her own theatre group, which was Organ Vital. And... 
they've been doing uh, theatre productions ever since, and they actually still are doing theatre productions. One of the big ones they did was Organ, which they adapted into a movie. Have you seen Organ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Organ's fucking amazing. Yeah, I think you lent it to me, maybe? Or, I don't know, but yeah, I watched it, I think, only last year for the Mm. first time. And it was really different to what I thought it was going to be like. Mm. Was that put out by Unearthed? No, that was put out by Synapse in America. Uh, Okay, I feel like the DVD cover is a real, like, misrepresentation of what the film is. So if you look at the cover, it looks like it's going to be some, like, extreme gore kind of thing. Right. But the film itself is much weirder and way more interesting Mm. than that. Yeah, I love that film. I, I, I do love, yeah, Organ. I wish I could have seen it as a theatre production to see how it was adapted into the movie. That'd be amazing. Mm. So they did Organ um, under their theatre production name, Organ Vital. And then the initial plan from that was to make Organ 2, the sequel. And they filmed loads of scenes and somewhere along the lines, it became a new film, which was Ido, the film we're talking about today. So this was initially supposed to be the sequel to Organ. Sure. Yeah, I was wondering that throughout it because it it does have direct references to Organ, Mm. which we'll talk about as we get to it. But but it is a very different film from Organ. (laughs) so different. Um, And actually, going back to that Synapse DVD, there is a a little, like, bonus um, feature thing about the making of Organ 2. And she talks about Organ 2, and there's loads of scenes that appear in Edo. And she talks about it as if it is Organ 2. So mm. after the Synapse DVD came out, it seems like the plan changed sure. somewhere along the lines. So it became a new thing. This is maybe getting into something you might talk about later. But mm. this film is from 2005. Yeah. And it does not look like it's from 2005. Is that because a lot of it was shot, you know, in the 90s? I... When she was first doing the sequel to, to Organ. Well, saying that, when was Organ made? I'm just going to quickly look it up. So, yeah, Organ was 96. And, yeah, like you said, it does not look like a film from 2005. So it could very well have been that this was um, shot over a vast period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure about the exact makings of the film. Going on to my next point about this film is the title. Yeah. This the, the title itself has given me a huge headache. <laughs> yeah. So the, the the Japanese title Ido, right? A very quick introduction to how um, the Japanese alphabet works. I know you know Dave, but maybe for some of mm. our very few listeners, yeah. Um, each character in the Japanese alphabet is made up of two syllables. Yeah. Mostly, there are some exceptions. Ido being the title of this film, we have E and Do, right? Now, Ido itself is a word. It means the well. It's like a well, right? And the thematics of... Oh, the theme of um, the well comes up a lot in this film. And I watched this first a few years ago, and I always thought they were talking about a well. A well as in a well. A well that you take water from. Yeah. And I, when we were talking about doing this film last week, you were like, well, no, but... It is a word. This this film is billed overseas as id, yeah. as I-E-D. And you're like, well, God, we talk about it. it is a word. Is that your impersonation of me? That's you. That's you in a nutshell. <laughs> so what the fuck is id, Dave? So id refers to like animalistic instinct, right? Mm-hmm. 
It's like a our drive, like animal drive that we can't control. Right. I think. You think? Yeah. Okay. Am I right? Well, I I, I whipped up the um <laughs> the the definition of it. Yeah. And apparently, it is the part of the mind mm. in which innate instinctive impulses yeah. and primary processes manifest. Mm. The conflict between the drives of id and the demands of cultural superego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like an ego versus id kind of thing. Which, and I look at the definition, I'm like, well, I still don't know what it is. But mm. then according to Kei Fujiwara, the director, she said, the unconscious desire, id, that sleeps at the bottom of the constructed and controlled individual consciousness, mm. ego, of I. Yeah, yeah. Now, it all sounds like mumbo jumbo to me. But somewhere amongst those words, I can kind of form an image of it, what id is yeah. supposed to be. When I was watching it, I think it does make sense. Mm. Because it is kind of the main theme towards the end of the film. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> but so upon when you said that, I was like, shit, so maybe it's not about a well. But actually, it still is about a well. So uh, the title is a play on words, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Because the bottom of that... Um, impulse that primary impulse and instinct is displayed here in the form of a well yeah we have a well in the film mm. but the bottom of the well is not an actual well it's it's our primal yeah. instinct it's actually it's quite a smart title then mm. <laughs> so it's sort of playing on an english word yeah and a japanese word so yeah mixing them together pretty good it's a bit of a headache yeah <laughs> and i still don't understand yeah. so id Ido, they're both correct, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> both correct. And we get, like, these um, kind of... I'm going a bit ahead of myself, ahead of myself, but still, we get these kind of um, title cards, and the well is referred to as the id well, mm. like the monster at the bottom of the id well. So it's, it's, it's very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Prevalent? That's the one. Let's go with prevalent. <laughs> so, let's get into it. Id, Ido. Oh, fuck. Here we go. But, actually, I was going to save this to the uh, for the end of the podcast, but I think it would probably benefit by saying it first, is that the director actually said at one point that she just connected a lot of images that she wanted to shoot. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ido is a very convoluted messy and linear yeah it's just it's all over the shop very just it's just a lot of scenes yeah when i was yeah i said this right before we started recording but when i was watching this we always write notes as we watch stuff i almost stopped writing notes because mm. i was like fucking i have no fucking idea at certain points what is going on mm. who anybody is mm. towards the end i think it there is some clarity yeah but even, like, Kei Fujiwara's character in mm. this is so confusing because mm. I don't know what her connection to anything is. So it's not a very narrative-driven kind of film no. at all. And even, like, the style of it is a very bizarre mix of kind of, like, almost, like, vaudevillian <laughs> comedy in some scenes and then just, like, it's just some fucking... Cr yeah, it's, it's wild. It's, like, yeah. such a weird mix of stuff. Completely unlinear. We, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what narrative or whose narrative we're following. Yeah. Um, 
this is a very unstable film. Yeah, very unstable. So that's why I wanted to say that first, because if we feel like, if it sounds like we have no idea what we're talking about, it's because we don't. (laughs) So with that, let's get into it. So we open up with a quote, which is, The Amida Buddha's sacred vow is that all be granted salvation. Young, old, good, evil, even the most depraved by sin and lust will be shown compassion. Invoke Amida Buddha and you will be saved. What is Amida Buddha? So, Amida... You don't know Amida Buddha? No. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Um, Apparently it goes by a few names. Mm. Uh, Buddha of eternal light, of eternal salvation. He's like the the, the person who's going to save us all. Wait, is he just a regular Buddha? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, I don't know about the different, like, variations of Buddha. Sure. And also, like, in... In this first part, we've got, like, a narration as well. It's all, right? like, a voiceover, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we're hearing a lot of stuff about beasts can so that's be it. saved, right? So, we start off with that male voiceover of talking about Buddha and you will be saved if you trust and follow this Buddha. And we wake up and we're in a forest and there's a very lost and seemingly scared man walking around, kind of wondering... Uh, like looking up at the sky, searching for something, and he kind of collapses. And then we get the second voiceover come in, and that's the female voice, which we can only assume is Kei Fujiwara. And you were saying... Yeah, it's just like, it's a lot of stuff about people can ask to be saved at the end of their life, but beasts can't. Mm. So again, it's like this id kind Mm. of idea, I guess. Yeah, but at this point, I'm like, oh, shit, what are we in for? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Um, beasts, beasts is in animals. Um, mm. Yeah, they they can't speak, so they can't pray to Buddha. They can't pray to the Muda Buddha. They're just they're, there's there's a lot of great like uh, words spoken in here. The, yeah. the, the words chosen, just breathing masses of flesh. Yeah. <laughs> Her voiceover is great as well. Like this kind of gravelly deep mm. voice. Mm. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's 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 very dreamlike. It's very dreamlike opening and. And then a storm comes and washes this man away. And we see, th- like, something floating on top of the water, but it's shot from beneath. So we're not really sure what it is. Um, but it's a very dreamlike, strange scene, um, very connected to nature and spirituality. Listening to myself speak now, this is just sound- it sounds so different from everything we've spoken about <laughs> prior to this in our yeah. previous episodes. And then we wake up, there's a kid playing the harmonica, and there's like a dirty mm. man in the forest. He kind of comes out the forest. That's a different guy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, see, it was so hard to follow. I'm like, is this the same guy? I'm not sure. But what I did love that, so the kid is playing this the harmonica... And um, the guy takes the harmonica mm-hmm. and out of his mouth and just starts playing it as well. But then it fades into the score. Like him playing mm. the harmonica kind of turns into the score of the movie. of reminded me of have you seen once upon a time in the west no it's probably my favorite western but charles bronson mm. uh is in it he plays i think he's I'm, I'm probably wrong his character i feel like his character's name is harmonica <laughs> <laughs> i should check that but um yeah he's like playing the harmonica 
and it fades into like the Morricone score mm. and it's one of the most like amazing musical moments I've ever seen in a movie and this reminded me of that right. the way it like faded into that I'm like yeah that's no, fucking great but I lo- the score of this was so good such it, a good score it's a very kind of sentimental sad score yeah, isn't it's it it's like kind of mysterious and yeah it's yeah it's really nice though so mm. good it added so much to it mm. I thought so then we're kind of like following what I can only assume is a flashback, but saying that we jump back and forth through different timelines a lot mm. of the time. So yeah, I also thought that like flashbacks, maybe I'm not sure. And there's a man walking kind of through like slums and he's like playing yeah. the harmonica. And, and then we find this guy who is apparently a murderer. Did you recognize him? He's from Organ, right? Yes. He's one of the main guys in yep. Organ. Yeah, he is. And he is also in Electric Rod Boy. Oh, really? Yeah. And actually, I think this is Kei Fujiwara's husband. Oh, okay. Or maybe ex-husband. I'm not sure. Okay. But yeah, right. they mm. had something. And I was like, fuck, it's the Electric Rod Boy guy. And we get a kind of flashback to when he murdered someone. So he's kind of like suffering with the with his past life choices and he's essentially on the run going through these slums i think looking for work right i think is his story i did not get any of that so i'm glad that you've explained that to me (laughs) (laughs) and then we cut to the rain heavy rain which is heavily featured in this film there's a lot of rain it's a very wet movie it's very wet (laughs) and they're like, come on, bring it over, hurry up, hurry up. These guys are like out yeah, in the yeah, pouring yeah. rain struggling with something. And they have what is, what I can only describe is like the, imagine like a steering wheel to an old ship, you know, those like round wheels. And it's, it's like a cog, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're trying to attach it to the well. And they're out in this rain and apparently something disastrous will happen if they don't get this cog onto the well in time to close it off. Meanwhile, these pigs around them are screaming bloody murder. Yeah. And apparently when the pigs scream, it's a very bad omen. Yeah. So they're very frantic and trying to close this well. It's a bit nuts. It's a very frantic and intense opening. And then we cut to our first title card. Chapter one. Chapter one. People who fell in the well. Not just the well, the id well. The id well, there you go. Which goes back to the well being represented as the bottom of our self-consciousness. Take it from here. (laughs) Fuck off, mate. Not doing that. Well, we we do get a very cool shot after that. Mm. So we we go back to all these, like, pigs in the Mm. cages. It's a lot of pig stuff Mm. in this film. (laughs) So eventually we find out that we're actually in a... In a pig farm, these people are rearing pigs yeah. to be eaten. Yeah, yeah. We get so yeah, we get all these pigs in cages, and then I, I like I don't know where anything is supposed to be, but like all this water's rushing down mm. into this space, mm. basement space or something, and then all this blood starts pouring down as well. So I sort of assumed that it's like a slaughterhouse as well. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Was that not when the well started spewing blood? Maybe. There's the, oh, there's a fantastic visual of just the well just, like, spouting blood, like, spraying yeah, yeah, yeah. right up mm. into the air. And we get another one of Kay's, like, um, voiceover. She's, like, staring into the camera. And mm. she's saying, like, pigs are born for the sake of being eaten. Yeah, yeah. And then we kind of cut back to the, the murderer's episode where he's, uh, he's apparently killed someone. And we see we kind of see this episode... 
little by little, like sporadically throughout the movie, and each time it it expands on the story. And yeah, there's just like someone murdered on this bed, covered in blood with all their guts hanging out, like twitching and convulsing. Yeah, that was that was fucking insane. So you get all these like guts hanging out, mm. and then it starts doing like a stop motion animation of the guts yeah. and they're like moving around it's really mental and then it's start, they start forming into people mm. and not just people but this is what made me think of that vaudevillian kind of thing they're these sort of fast motion mm. hat wearing they look like you know 1920s or 30s like, like barbershop boys yeah, 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 or something exactly, yeah. yeah and then we sort of see the again i guess this is a flashback to the aftermath of that but just a pile of trash with the dead body just sort of sticking out of the trash. Yeah. So we get these, like, labor workers, essentially. Yeah. Um, going about their, their day-to-day life, and they find this dead body in the trash. And all guts hanging out. And there's these buckets of blood all around. There's the Yamazaki meats uh, written on these buckets, which we can assume is the meat factory where they're rearing pigs at. So that's like the first 15 minutes. It's very intense. Yeah. It's very intense. You've helped me understand a lot more of that now. Because that, to me, honestly, those scenes, Mm. I really can't understand how confusing it was. Mm. Like, it just felt like a series of unconnected things for me. I couldn't, in my state, tired state of watching, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Mm. I had no idea that he was supposed to have murdered that guy, for example. I had no clue. I thought that was... Because it's very, like... The way it's shot, it's sort of kind of weird. It's almost, like, voyeuristic. Mm. You don't see that much detail. So, yeah. Everything's so disjointed. Mm. So, all, all we can do is just try to connect the pieces and mm. try to put the various timelines together. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to these, like like you said, the kind of um, the barbershop people who were born out of mud and they're doing that like one two one two walking thing, and it's all like sped up. And yeah. that's fucking ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> which is very not really connected to anything. All the scenes with no, those barber shot, no. shop quartet guys. Yeah, it's very odd. I don't get it. But then we finally land in the the main location location yeah. of the story. So we're in this pig rearing factory, and we have a number of workers. One of them appears to be the boss, and they're all kind of a little bit weary or scared of him. Mm. He's clearly stronger than everyone else. Uh, but everyone is kind of... They they all have their own individual character, right? It, to me, it felt like it was they were all kind of... I don't know how to put it in a nice way, but everyone was very wrong in some way. Mm. Like, they felt like a... I don't know, like a collection of... People from an insane asylum or something mm. that had been put in this factory. That's a pretty good representation of it, yeah. But they're they're all they're all very much like fit into a stereotype, mm. all different. Um, so you got like the big strong boss guy. You've got one guy who is in um, like Civil War clothes. Yeah, and there's another guy with pigtails and makeup, and he's constantly like. He's constantly out of control. Like mm. it's a real like nutty performance. Him in particular, seeing the seeing their like their their clothes and their costume, their characters, and everyone is so over the top. And it's such a contrast to the insane, intense opening that we've just seen. Yeah, um, it's it's a little bit of a breath of fresh air, but at the same time, it's like, what does any of this mean? It's also like you said, there's that guy in that that civil mm. war kind of outfit. <laughs> it's really jarring. And when we saw those 
those bits and also early on the way it cuts around to like flashbacks and stuff i was like okay so this is set in like the 50s or something mm. and then as it goes on it's like oh wait no it's not everyone's just dressed in like absurd costumes but yeah. it's not meant to, it's not really set anywhere in any particular time <laughs> I love it. So what? I think it's the boss's son. He has a oh, son, right? Now that was fucking hilarious. Yeah. So we, yeah, we see like this bully kind of son, and he's beating the shit out of the pigtails character, and he's meant to be nine years old. Yeah. But he's played by a fully grown man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's wearing like school uh, school clothes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, kicking the shit, and and the dad's like, uh, he's only nine. He's pretty yeah. big, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's, like, really proud of his giant son (laughs) in that first bit. (laughs) And we get another voiceover of just, like, this constant, like... It's almost trying to make us feel guilty about eating meat in a way. Like, Kay's voiceover saying that the mass of flesh forced to mature in half a year. Yeah. Meat scrawled on the back sends them to the slaughterhouse. (laughs) You're just like, oh, Jesus, this got pretty intense. Is it around there as well we also see a pig get slaughtered? But... But it's not a real pig. It's like a puppet pig. Oh, soon, and not, yeah. And not the not the only puppet pig we're going to see throughout it. But like, my when I was watching this, um, Tana, my partner, came walking in for that scene and just laughed out loud at this like puppet pig like getting killed because it's really cartoonish. It like, is it's not not at all like upsetting. So. You don't have to worry about seeing real animals get killed in this. No. It's definitely not real. No. It's not realistic in any way whatsoever, but it's kind of very appropriate to what you would imagine a theatre group to yeah, come up with. Yeah, yeah, it does yeah. feel like that, yeah. Uh, so it's like a clearly a handmade puppet of yeah. a pig with just blood spraying everywhere. It's really great. <laughs> The next uh, bit is so good as well. So the yeah the nine year old fully grown man son Ricky Ricky yeah. <laughs> so we got to Ricky really intensely eating bread. It's, it's like is it like jam peanut butter sort of stuff? Whatever. He's just jamming all this stuff into his mouth, and he's kind of half puking it up as he's eating oh, it as well. Yeah. And it he's basically getting force fed. By the dad, right? Like, his dad is essentially raising his son as a pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. wanting him to get huge. Yeah. But the dad's also having a breakdown about, like, oh, he's reached his, like, peak growth. Like, he's not <laughs> going to get any bigger. But, yeah, this scene is so grim. <laughs> this son in this kitchen re- just horribly eating the bread and the dad having a meltdown next to him. Yeah. Yeah, that was upsetting. Yeah. But actually quite genius as well. Like, you got these guys, like, raising pigs, and, like, they said in the voiceover, they have to be prime, like, nice and meaty within half a year. So, the fact that he's also trying to raise his son like that, it makes sense, but it's also extremely upsetting. (laughs) Then we cut to chapter two. Mm. Peeping Peeping people. people. (laughs) Which (laughs) is pretty much told shot exclusively through peepholes in yeah. the wall. I was really confused by this because I don't think we've had any introduction to this character before this, but we're basically getting all those ridiculous guys mm. spying on what we think at first is a woman, mm. but is actually another cross-dressing character, maybe, yeah. uh, or a trans character i don't know not Mm. they don't really make it 
too clear. So she's like in the window, kind of like undressing. Yeah. And you get all these shots of eyes kind of like peeping yeah. out and trying to like watch her. And they're, they're watching and they're... They are <laughs> masturbating, but not with their dicks. That's it. They whip out their dicks, but what have they got? It's it's like a series of different things, right? <laughs> well, like, I I couldn't really make out exactly what they had. Could could you tell what it was that they had? They, they, they have, like, springs. Like, giant yeah, okay. yeah, springs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, giant fucking springs. Yeah. So they're, they're like just wanking, wanking these, these springs. Weird springs connected to their crotches. Yeah. One of them is, like, caught in the act, right, of, mm. of spying and wanking by the boss guy? Is that right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Who goes fucking nuts and starts beating mm. him up, right? Yeah, yeah. Fucking very weird. Yeah, that spring masturbation scene was odd. It also felt very theater liked it yeah yeah (laughs) but then we actually have something which does contribute to the story Mm. so two girls come to the what we now learn is the dorm for the factory workers they knock on the door and they are essentially the easiest way easiest way to describe it is like jehovah's witness type people they're there to kind of talk about religion yeah and they're like you know hasn't our world become strange and people have become weird and She's talking about religion. She's saying about how hard her father worked. And and there's two people there, right? They're talking to two of the factory workers. And they're like, oh, my God, look at your hands. They're the hands of a worker. They remind me of my father's. And and she's, like, touching her hands. And they just she keeps talking about herself and her family and her father. And, and then she... And then it kind of goes a little bit dark. Very quickly. Very quickly. She doesn't really spend much time, like, doing the Jehovah's Witness kind of thing. I still don't know what religion she's trying to sell. I don't know, does she even get to that point? It's basically just straight into her dad murdering, like, her well, family. Well, that's it. At first, she was like, oh, my father, he died just before retirement. And, yeah. the, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, that's unfortunate, you know, sometimes that happens, and... She's like, oh yeah, well you know, he he killed himself, but he was he, then he tried to kill the whole family as well, and and he cut me as well, and, uh, and then it's like oh fuck, it. He, like you <laughs> said, it keeps getting darker and darker and darker. She's like, but he cut me too, but I managed to escape, and then we get a flashback of her like covered in blood mm. in like this murder scene, screaming. That actress is so unhinged. It, mm. It's probably the best performance in the film i'd say Mm. like her role feels very real yeah but that's not the last time we see that flashback and it only gets worse yeah yeah Mm. when we come back to it that's that is my favorite stuff in it but that's much later in the film much later we still have a lot of things to figure out until then and then we kind of cut back back to that murder scene with the guy from the beginning and we kind of learn then that it's like a prostitute murder. That's I, didn't, what... I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still running. And we kind of like, we expand across the room a little bit more. And we also see Kei Fujiwara's character there covered in blood. Oh, that's her connection to it. Okay. Mm. I, I was, yeah, just the way it flows together is so confusing. Yeah. It's really hard to make the connections. Mm. Especially when you're very tired and hungover <laughs> watching it. So it seems like every all, all the workers in this uh, pig farm, what do you even call that place? They keep referring to it as a factory, but yeah. it's not 
really a factory, is it? It's just no. like a slaughterhouse, basically. Yeah. yeah. It seems like everyone working there is running away from something. Mm. Um, and everyone is involved in some sort of like like murder or they have their past life that they've run away from. And that's when we get, um, well, I think, uh, one of my uh, favorite scenes, actually. So people are kind of in this like cheap little yakitori izakaya kind of thing. They're all drinking, they're all drinking. And there's a radio play being played and they're talking about the murder that happened in this hotel and they connect it to similarities from two other cases and that it may be the same killer. So we know that now that the guy from the beginning and also Kay, this may not be their first murder. They may be murderers, they may just be tied up in something we don't know. So one of the the customers in this bar is actually the murderer. And he's listening to this radio broadcast and starts like heaving. And the uh, the owner of the restaurant, he's like, don't vomit, don't vomit here, don't vomit, swallow it, swallow it. <laughs> and they're like, drag him outside. He's like, swallow it, swallow it now. And in the end, he ends up vomiting all over this guy. And it's like, you motherfucker, I'm going to, I'm going to feed you to the pigs. <laughs> and drags him back to the pig factory. And is essentially going to throw him into the, the, the pig pen to be eaten alive by pigs. But what happens, Dave? One of the puppet pigs <laughs> starts attacking the guy who's trying to throw him in. Yeah. But this seems... Am I wrong? Like, the scene just kind of ends. Like, we don't really see what happens. That's it. We don't know what happens to the bar owner. And we come back to the other guy, like, way later in the film. Mm. Like, after, like half an hour has passed we wake up he's like oh i'm awake now <laughs> it's so disjointed and yeah it's just impossible to know what's happening after time or who anyone is yeah like i didn't even know that guy was the murderer right that's how fucking confusing this film was to be. he's the one who's like on the run we get loads of like shots of him just like walking and and kind of just solemnly playing the harmonica as if he's like mm. troubled by his past right See, I thought it was the other guy who's at the factory the whole time that was playing the harmonica. <laughs> Very fucking confusing. You, you might even be right. I don't <laughs> but then I think we get to the most like, despite it being one of the most insane scenes, probably the most like the most confined scenes, so most like easiest to sum up in words. So we now we cut to chapter three, which is entitled "Early Afternoon Madness." So it's a lovely, bright summer's day. Very cartoonish. Lots of, like, sped-up walking scenes. Um, A policeman is pushing his bike along the road. Mm. And he has a fully grown man in a schoolgirl outfit riding on the back of his bike. Which is the character that was being peeped on in the last chapter, right? Yes. Yeah, I I was confused because I was, like, trying to make connections Mm. watching this. So I'm like, is this schoolgirl character... I thought it was Ricky... At first, the nine-year-old oh. son. I, I I was like, for some reason, this has happened to him. It wasn't him. But mm. I was like, who the fuck is this character? I feel like we're never... It never really makes any sense. Yeah, because this character. this character doesn't even work in the factory. Mm. Usually, so so the, the cop is like clearly like romantically interested in this schoolgirl mm. character or this man dressed as a schoolgirl. And the schoolgirl... Ends up like falling over yeah. in the grass yeah, and yeah, kind yeah. of revealing the crotch area 
of of the pants and the, <laughs> of the pants. The pants. And the yeah, the cop sees the crutch, obviously realizes it's a man mm. and has a full blown meltdown <laughs> yeah. and runs away. And the cop's really like he's a real cutesy cop. Like young and dumb. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He kind of looks like an idol or something, right? Right. But yeah, he runs away. And the guys that work at the factory are watching this happen. Yeah. In- including the the guy with pigtails. Yeah. Who like runs over and starts attacking, like sexually assaulting uh, the schoolgirl or the the guy dressed as the schoolgirl. It's sort of cutting between as he's like doing the sexual assault. It's got sort of like fantasy shots as well of the cop <laughs> doing it. Like I guess from the perspective of yeah, the, yeah. the schoolgirl character, and then yeah, the pigtails guy mm. also realizes that it's a man. Oh, right. but before that, mm. he whips out his dick. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot. I forgot about that. He whips out his dick and it's like a flower penis? Is no, that- no. Oh, that's the other guy. So, the, the pigtail guy whips out his dick and it's like a rusty spring. But right, right. she's like fantasizing it that as it, being that the is cop. A flower. That, that's right. And yeah, it's like yeah. a rose that blossoms from yeah. his like, pants. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, so then once he realizes that, uh, you know, this schoolgirl is, is a... A man dressed as a schoolgirl, he starts like completely freaking out and beating the shit out of mm. this the schoolgirl character. And it's, it's pretty vicious and weird and I don't know what tone it's going for in no. the scene. He keeps calling her like a freak. So she's got balls. She's a freak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's really odd. I just- <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on, chapter four, Red Knight. And by this point, we still had an hour left in the film and I still have no idea what was going on. <laughs> and one of the workers is in a in hospital completely bound by white bandages and there's blood everywhere and kind of projectiles like blood vomit everywhere and it's just another one of those nonsensical scenes that doesn't really have much connection to the story is it a dream or a flashback or something because then he wakes up right yeah and then i think it's him he wakes up and he is bandaged he's the one that's been stabbed is that right yeah but all his bandages are all yellowed Mm. around his guts (laughs) that's right (laughs) yeah so we're back in the factory and the other workers have caught up with the pigtails character who has apparently uh killed the schoolgirl character so they're like beating the shit out of this the pigtail Mm. guy and the boss says he wants to smash his balls oh no do that <laughs> but he keeps saying you know she had balls she had balls she's a freak so they're beating the fuck out of this this guy and a massive fight breaks out and the guy with the stomach wound like the one you just mentioned i'm not even sure how he got that stomach wound i have no idea but he's kind of there watching from a peephole um mm. overseeing everything that's happening and we kind of end this chapter on a massive fight breaking out yeah and then we cut to the next chapter, which is quite amazing. Morning of the corpse. Morning of the corpse. We wake up and there's blood everywhere. Mm. Like everyone is completely drenched <laughs> in blood. Everyone's completely fucked up. Yeah. The uh, pigtails guy has a massive ass wound. <laughs> it's like he got a massive horrible gash on his ass. <laughs> and 
everyone's covered in blood, but they're still kind of going about their their day-to-day work. And the Civil War guy uncovers a body of one of his co-workers. Meanwhile, somewhere else, the vomit guy wakes up outside the pin pen. And there's a scene like, Ricky goes to a police box. Do you remember yeah, this scene? Yeah, so... Yeah, all right. So they've uncovered this dead body. Yeah. This whole, all this part was so fucking confusing yep. to me because I didn't know who the fuck the dead guy was. Same. Later on, it seems like the pigtails guy is referring to it, this character who's been killed as his dad. Mm. But I don't know. I don't know what's going on at this point. But yeah, Ricky, the son, has a kind of full blown breakdown mm. and runs off to. Yeah, a Koba in a police station. Mm. And that sort of hunk cop that we saw earlier is there. Mm. But, but then it all just goes wrong. Like, he, he starts shouting like, I'm not a pig, and starts smashing yeah. the windows up and steals a bicycle. Yeah. And the vomit guy there is there to kind of stop him. For some reason. For some reason, because he's woken up now outside the pig pen, but he's just there. And the policeman chases him on a bike. Yeah, so Ricky runs off and he's like chasing down the pigtails guy, right? Yeah. And beating the shit out of him for some reason. Uh I yeah, again, don't know don't know why. And let's remember Ricky is a 9-year-old boy. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this sort of very very funny shot of um the cop chasing after them like through the grass, but he's like running in this sort of cartoonish yeah absurd kind of way yeah. that again is like what's going on here what is this film it's around this point where we have so many different scenes all cut together where we really have no idea what's going on but basically in a nutshell we cut back to where they've hidden the boss's body and it is essentially like the organ harvesting black market thing from organ with mm. the with the bloody plastic sheets all over the walls and yeah and yeah. so there's the police catching up to the the pigtails guy um but not Ricky for some reason I thought he was chasing Ricky yeah, yeah that's what I didn't get yeah. he's chasing Ricky but then he catches up to pigtails guy and pigtails is like I'm gonna revenge like avenge my father I'm like all right yeah. Okay. As well as Kay covered in blood eating flesh from a bag. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. And then the guys who were born from mud making some kind of makeshift shelter from the rain. It's all these scenes that all mixed together very frantically. Extraordinary. And it seems like everything confusing. is kind of building up to something. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to chapter six, which mm. is quite amazing. Human yeah. hog. Human hog. This is the best part of the film. Mm-hmm. And this is... Honestly, to be frank, before this scene, before this chapter, I was mm. like, I don't know what I think of this film. I don't, I can appreciate the skill that's gone into it, but I don't think I like it very much. But then from this point on, I really got into it. Mm. Even though it gets more crazy in a way, it mm. also kind of takes shape at this point. Yeah. It's like less fucking all over the place like mm. it is in, in those first five chapters. Yeah. So basically, what we are watching in chapter six is the murder mm. involving her father, the father killing the family. Yeah. Told her her perspective. So we start with the dad covered in blood, waving a knife around. Yeah. And it's it's the religious girl from, from, from before. And he's kind of like talking to the camera. And we get... Everything is black. 
So you have the the back the the surroundings are completely in darkness and only the subject is lit. Yeah. And the girl who we find out's name is Etsuko. She's like, don't you think it's strange? Look at this cunt mark wound that my dad left me. <laughs> and where he cut her on the neck, which looks like a gaping vagina. Mm. And then her dad is like talking to the camera. Do you remember what he said? No, I it's don't. quite horrible. Right. Go on then. Ah, <laughs> oh, you fucker. I, I wrote down gross dad. Yeah. But I can't remember what he said. Like, as we said, well, everything is so disjointed, but we get these scenes like the the daughter, Etsuko, the religious girl, and her mum just, like, fighting each other, like, slapping each other and being very aggressive, vicious to each other. And her dad is there just saying, Etsuko's cunt is stinky. That's right. Yeah, Stinky. Yeah. He says mm-hmm. it twice. Yuck. And, and he says, Papa will wash it off for you. <sighs> so they're in this bloody mess and they're fighting. The mum and the daughter are fighting and uh, suddenly the that- mum's fighting face yeah yeah yeah. so she you sort of see her so the mum and the daughter are fighting in this Mm. weird as you said like all black yeah uh background it feels very like dreamlike and yeah the mother has you you sort of see her and there's like something wrong with her face Mm. like in the close-up and then like her face just like falls off like peels off and it is by far the best moment of the film. Mm. Like, it, like the visual is really incredible. It's quite terrifying. And she's saying, you return to life as a miracle. So basically, the father killed everyone, but Etsuko managed to live. So she's apparently this miracle of life. Yeah. But she has all this past trauma, so she mm. does not feel that way. She's suffering. I like that as well, that it, you have... It is in that weird dream mm. kind of thing, but then it also cuts back out again yeah. To yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah i guess the real world or like more real world and like i'm like oh okay so that face coming off thing wasn't a dreamy hallucination thing it's just part of the reality of this movie <laughs> but even in the real world mum has got no face yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly but did you notice like or realize what Etsuko pulled out from inside of her? No, I couldn't tell what that was. So she pulls something out she, from her. What? What is it? I don't know. Okay, good. Because I, I was like, what's Because I had to watch it a few times. So she reaches inside of her, pulls out something. At first, I was like, is that like a, a fetus or something? Mm. But then it looks like it's attached to a telephone wire. Yeah. I have no idea what it was. Me neither. <laughs> I was hoping you'd shed light, but I'm also kind of glad that you didn't know what it was. No, no idea. No idea. And then things get really fucking weird. Yeah. It starts to, like, you know, Kei Fujiwara's character has Mm. not really been a big part of this. No. Up until this point. And now the film basically just becomes centered on her. Mm. Right up until the end. So, which is also quite confusing because I don't really understand what her character is and how she relates to anything. I think she was involved in the initial murder. murder. Yeah. Yeah. So I I didn't get that at (laughs) all watching it. I thought she was literally just a random fucking character that we were cutting to. Did not understand that connection one bit at fucking all. (laughs) But yeah, we get her kind of going kind of nuts, right? And Mm. she's got on her hands, like the kanji for meat mm. is written on her hands. <laughs> she's at the gates of the slaughterhouse, yeah, basically. And she's kind of crawling around, acting like a pig. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, eat, like, 
eat. I think this is the point where she's eating the meat kind yeah. of stuff, like ripping at that skin or meat. I or whatever think that is. was the mum's face. Maybe. Oh, is that what that was? I okay, think so. right. Yeah, that was fucked up. But she starts like snorting mm. and like crawl, like you said, crawling around. She's yeah. still covered in blood, by the way. Yeah, and she's she's got like a bandage around her head, right? Yeah, so, like, covering one of her eyes, which is like constantly sort of dripping with blood. Mm. That gets more extreme in, in certain parts of the film. And she meets up with... The guy the, from the beginning. Yeah, the guy from the beginning, who to me seems like the main character, despite me having no idea who he is. Mm. I thought he was the fucking murderer watching this because he was the main character, but he's not. He's just... I don't know who he is, but the guy that we saw at the beginning, you know, mm. waking up in the... F- no, that's, yeah. is that the other guy? No, that's, that's, that's the guy. Right. Okay, yeah. You're right, you're right, yeah. So they... But they kind of, like... Um, they kind of meet together, right? So yeah. Kei Fujiwara, who's dripping blood, like mm. red blood from a face, and he's, like, dripping green blood. That's right. And the blood is, like, pooling together. Yeah. Of this green and red blood. What the fuck? <laughs> and, of course, the, the murderer, vomity murderer man shows up at this point mm. as well, right? And yep. is gagging and shit watching this. <laughs> But the point, and then there's the voiceover that says that like, we're all beasts. Mm. So she's she's a pig now, apparently. And I wanted to ask you yeah. about this bit in particular because I think I can't remember who says it, but someone mentions something like, "Oh, I do you remember what happened or something?" And then we get a flashback mm. to scenes, actual scenes from Organ. Is it the, the body harvest scenes or the yeah, butterfly yeah, yeah. scenes? So we're, we're just like seeing all these like flashbacks yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to organ at this point. Why? I don't know. I can't tell you, Dave. We're getting flashbacks to a separate movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I, I remember what happened to you. And we're getting flashbacks. But then there's also, there were prior flashbacks to this as well, like with the butterflies. There's loads of butterflies in here. And that was a huge theme yeah. of organ as well. Mm. Um, so it is. This is still kind of organ too. I'm gonna say it's like a, a quasi sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but there are like this part. It's like big chunks of organ are mm. shown in this part, which kind of tripped me out quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so the two of them are essentially just like spewing mm. bodily fluids into this collective pool that mixes together. Mm. Can I um, ask you something about Kei Fujiwara? So yeah. I don't know much about her, but I know Sukamoto is a big, like, kaiju fan. Mm. Is she a kaiju fan? Do you know? I mean, I don't know. Because... But, but judging, like, on all of her output, mm. including her theatre work and mm. everything, there's never been any kind of... any hints that she is a fan of kaiju cinema. Well, this made me think... I don't know if I was overthinking it, mm. but all I could think of this red green thing, which comes into it mm. more as we move on as well, reminded me so much of this Toho movie called War of the Gargantuans. Right. Where there's these two Frankenstein mon- monsters and one is red and one is green. And I don't know. It just, I was like, I know that Sukamoto's a fan. Mm. So I was wondering if this was some weird visual reference to it, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't shed light on that. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> Cut to chapter seven. Monster in the depths of Idwell. That's the one. Hmm. In the depths of the Idwell. Yeah. So in the depths of the Idwell, also known as the depths of our consciousness, according to the Id philosophy, hmm. 
we are in a black market organ harvesting room that we saw in organ. Yeah. So we're basically in the same place. Mm. Kay is in full-on pig mode. So she's sniffing around blood-stained sheets and just like walking around on all fours, very animalistic. Yeah. And she comes across the body of the guy who was um, mm. murdered previously. Mm. She's like dripping blood mm. all over him. So she finds the dead body. Yeah. And he's just like gushing all this blood onto him. And her head, she's just pouring blood yeah, from yeah. her head so wound, she's got, right? Yeah, that, this bandage on it. It's just like sort of pouring out of like the bandage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we get one of the most upsetting uh, sex what the scenes. Fuck, I, I, yeah, like what the fuck is that? So we get this. Did, was, did, was there any context? I don't know. I don't understand. So she, she, she's crawling around and she comes across this like fucked up kind of like deformed looking zombie man. He looks like a burn victim. To yeah, me. it's it's really horrible. Mm. And it's this guy like just having sex with this woman in this sort of. Yeah, plasticky, slaughterhousey looking fucking location. Yeah, that's it, because they're like surrounded by bloodied like sheets, like plastic sheets all mm. around them. The girl, she's not weird at all. She's just an, a very average, like just like in her normal sexy clothes. Yeah. But the guy yeah, is, is fucked, fucked up, and he starts like spewing this like white yeah, yeah. <laughs> gunk from his mouth, mm. which he uses to like moisten her up. I don't know what this was meant to be, but it felt like it some kind of trauma f- flashback thing mm. from Kay of like something she's like witnessed before. Uh, I, I don't know, like it, it was it was really fucked up it and very traumatic. Well could be. And then we get the weird burn victim guy saying though as as he's like rubbing his gross white mouth goo on this girl saying women are pigs crying out as I deal with them mm. like so he's dealing like killing these pigs the same way that he would have sex with women there's this constant like um, comparison between yeah. the two worlds um, constant in display on this film it's it's quite upsetting <laughs> but Kay finds them and we get this weird conversation between the two. She's calling him a beast, and he's like, are you jealous? And she's like, you're not my father. And yeah, Which yeah. probably goes back to what you were saying yeah, about this, this weird, like, it felt past trauma. traumatic, like, PTSD sort of stuff, yeah. And we get these, like, words flash up on the screen. It's like, beast, beast and fiend. fiend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then a wild shot of Kay, once again, surrounded by this, like, blackness. Yeah, it really goes bonkers at this point yeah. so we've got like Kay with like this sort of swollen split open kind of pregnant looking stomach she's like tearing at her own guts yeah. and they're kind of like throbbing and shit's like coming out of them oh man I'm fucking crazy <laughs> and then the vomit guy he descends into the organ harvest and the bottom of the well the id well if you will and I don't even know why he's there but he's gone down the well and he's walking around this organ harvesting place and he kind of sees something moving around from beyond the plastic sheets and it's the guy with the stomach wound from before but he's changed Mm. he's evolved if you will and he's basically morphed Mm into like a new entity 
with Kei Fujiwara's yeah, yeah. character. That's what I, I was... I had to rewind and rewatch this mm. ending. Because we don't see that happen. No. But Kei Fujiwara and the stomach wound guy have mm. basically morphed yeah. into this fucking strange, like, muscled up beast monster yeah. thing. It kind of reminded me of, you know, Story of Ricky, where the uh, the yeah. main, the warden, mm. like, gets all, yeah, it's muscled like up. It, it's that kind of effect, right? And he's all, the thing is, that is that's the monster in the bottom of the well. Yeah. Um, so it's all, like, he's all green and rotten and covered in fungus, and, and but it has, like, strong characteristics of both characters, like, united into this one fucking weird yeah. entity. Yeah. And when, but the face is still the stab wound victim. But when he speaks, Kay's voice comes out, mm. and it's got like the Kay bandages mm. and hair and everything. Yeah. And then comes like the showdown. I guess is that the f- the finale of the film, the showdown between the monster in the bottom of the well and the other guys. It's uh, this part was so confusing because it's sort of yeah this yeah weird monster kind of crawling around attacking a variety of people. Yeah. Some characters we've seen before and other characters I was like, I don't know who that is. Like, mm. at one point, there's just a random woman down there getting attacked. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who that is. Was that not the sex partner? I guess so, but who is that? I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, the, it's all these different people, mm. a variety of random people. Yeah. The boss comes back down as well. Oh, like, it does. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So the vomit guy takes out a, a knife, which is used to harvest the organs, stabs the monster, uh, pins it against the wall by its hands, but the monster removes the knives, repeatedly stabs the vomit guy, mm. and we think, well, he's done for. But the uh, pigtail guy also descends into the well, and he brings the uh, our favorite policeman with him. The hunk. The hunk. And the monster, like, drops down from the ceiling with a baseball bat. And he's like, you two are a pig. And starts, like, smashing him with a baseball bat. (laughs) And, oh, fucking... I really had no idea what was going on. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I I fell asleep at this point. (laughs) And had to rewatch it. In the finale. Yeah. (laughs) Not that it was, like... I was I was very tired and exhausted, mm. and this film really hurts your brain trying to watch it. Yeah. So I had to rewatch this part. But yeah, just going around with this baseball bat smashing up. So then the the guy who we thought was killed earlier, who mm. they, they they dumped the body into the bottom of the well, he's actually still alive, and he starts apologizing to the monster. He's saying, "I'm the one who made you this, and I'm sorry." And basically, he he invokes the Amida Buddha. Yeah. It's the only way that I can try to understand this. And that has some kind of effect on the monster, who then starts, like, convulsing and vomiting. And the... What I can only assume is the damned souls of hell start, like, crawling across the screen. It's, like, double-layered shots, yeah. right? I feel like it reminded me of, like, I don't know, like, a old silent film mm. you know like oh fuck what's that what's that film oh my god i've totally forgotten the name this that satanic silent film from the oh 20s. oh uh do you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. 
What uh, the fuck is Haksan? that? Haksan. Haksan. I don't yeah. know. It just like the effects mm. gave me that kind of Haksan mm. vibe. I understand. <laughs> but like a yeah. 2005 version. <laughs> yeah. And some of the, the, the monster vomits back out K and now they're separate entities again. Yeah. Um, and K's like pleading with with the, the guy, the stab wound victim saying, kill me instead of the other guy. It's all very much like yin yang, good versus evil, right? And the vomit guy pops up in the background in classic slow mo fashion, grabs the bat, smacks the monster, and we get this glorious, like, blood spray on screen. And then we kind of cut to the last scene. I don't remember the last scene. <laughs> you don't remember the last scene? Oh, well, upon that, like, the the impact of the bat, the well starts erupting blood. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, like, mm. spewing it out at incredible heights. And the I think there's, like, an earthquake, and the well disappears back into the ground. It's actually quite an impressive shot. And then the most what-the-fuck... After all this madness, probably the... The one scene that I was like, what the fuck is this happens? So it's now like nice and light and it's daylight again. We're back in the forest surrounded by nature. And basically from the heavens, if you will, Mm. we get text come on screen. And it's real tacky. Like it, it looks like something you'd see in like a... You know, like a religious... Like a film. brochure or something, yeah, like a religious yeah, yeah. brochure. But do you know, like, those shitty, like, low-budget, like, mm. Christian movies that, that get made? Yeah. You know, like, it felt like that, like, this yeah. sort of dodgy, you know, mid two thousand CG text. Yeah. Like, oh, out. 100%. And it says, Lord Amida, leadeth me, Lord of infinite light and life. But it's, like, sparkly writing yeah. coming down from the top of the screen. What the fuck, yeah. And that, I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. After everything I've seen, that was the scene that I was like, what the hell it definitely is added, this about? added an extra layer of strangeness. To yeah, this. yeah, definitely. Um, and then there's a, a couple of very brief scenes whilst like we go over yeah, the credits which the don't end- really yeah. explain much of anything mm. uh, but I think we end up back in the forest so I think it's like a constant loop because that's where we started right right but who fucking knows Dave mm. who fucking knows did you say I remember you telling me I mean you might want to go into this mm. you were maybe planning to go into this anyway but like is this you, I remember you saying this was unfair finished an unfinished film perhaps so i met kei fujiwara four years ago and absolutely <clears throat> lovely person yeah I'm gonna say that first and foremost she's actually incredible mm. and uh we were talking and i asked her about ido and and we talked about the releases that it's had and she was saying actually the one that has been released isn't the finished version and apparently the only way to see the finished version at this moment is at her house (laughs) right (laughs) yeah um but at her house she um does theater productions and she rescues cats and lives with these stray cats that she's taken in 
and has basically converted her home into a, a cat cafe. Right. Where mm-hmm. you can go and, you know, play and feed cats and stuff. And, um, and she does small theatre productions there as well, still to this day. Mm. Um, Is this in Tokyo? So when I met her, she was still living in Tokyo, but now she lives in the Nagano prefecture. Okay. And it's like in the middle of nowhere. Wow. And mm. she just posted today uh, about her upcoming theatre production. Mm. And it, she's literally doing it in this tiny tiny hut in the middle of a forest yeah and you can get nine people in there apparently wow and she offers like accommodation in Mm. her house so basically (laughs) you can go to the into the middle of nowhere we should do that i'm quite tempted to do that Mm. uh it's it's a bitch to get to but it's like a long i've got my driver's license here fuck i'd be well up for that let's look into it Yeah. yeah And you literally just sit in a hut in the middle of nowhere mm. in a region that is has a lot of heavy snow. Yeah. <laughs> and then you kind of stay in one of her, like, spare bedrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. But, yeah, so she occasionally does screenings uh, in her home, which is apparently the only way to see the the complete cut of this film. Right. Mm. Mm. Okay. Interesting. I wonder how different it is. Uh, I can't think it would be that. I don't think it would shed much light on mm. the the madness of this film. The only thing about this film that shows that it's from 2005 is the editing, I would say. Oh, yeah. Like, like it fe- that's the only thing that made me wonder, like, I, if her version is a little bit different. Mm. Like, it's got some very 2005 effects and, and just certain cuts that look very digital right. everything else is very gritty and raw mm. and does not feel like it's from that time period i um mm. i i tried to find out some stuff about this film there's mm. not a lot but she has a very basic introduction of this film uh, on her website and she talks about hearing the words of shinra who is a, a japanese buddhist monk um from the year 1173 apparently mm. And he talks about the Amida Buddha. Mm. And apparently his prayers and his preachings essentially kind of like changed her life and outlook on life. Right. And she said, you know, what what is life and who are we to take away the life of animals and hmm. who who can be spared judgment after death is essentially the themes of this film, which she adopted him from following this uh, Buddhist priest, which is, you know, this from fucking century ago, you know. Watching the film without any of that context, it kind of comes across, at least to me, as, like, the ramblings of a mad, religiously brainwashed woman. Mm. Like, there's no other way I can kind of interpret it. Mm. It's just mad. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm a firm believer in the K Fujiwara has such a strong vision and she knows exactly what she wants to do that I kind of I I think this is a film that requires multiple viewings and after you kind of watch it and figure it out you will get a lot out of it yeah it's definitely one I'd like to watch again in the right frame of mind I really liked it by the end of it Mm. but it's yeah as we said at the start it's you know organ is also not a very normal film. It's very strange mm. and disjointed in a lot of ways, but it's much easier to digest yeah. than this film. Mm. 
And yeah, for the first like four or five chapters, I was like, fucking don't know what this is. And weirdly enough, there's like the few moments where it just, even though they're not <laughs> like, the, for example, the scene with the cop, uh, yeah, and the yeah, school girl, yeah. like felt like such a relief mm. just cause it wasn't cutting all over the place. And I was like, okay, I can understand what's at least happening in this moment. Yeah. Of the film. But then when I look back to that scene, I'm like, I couldn't tell you why that's in the film, but, but I'm sure there's a reason for it. So I, you know, I want to rewatch it and Mm. try and get, yeah, more of a sense of uh, what's going on in it. A hundred percent. Yeah. uh, One of the, uh, just a slight tidbit as well as when, um, when she was filming this and um, an organ as well, apparently she had a rule um, that everything would only ever be shot once. She would not allow second takes ever. What the fuck? So, because she couldn't afford extra film stock, right, et cetera, right. et cetera. So she was like, you need to do this perfectly. If you <laughs> fuck up, you're buying extra film stock. So everyone was like completely on edge that they would have to deliver it Shit. perfectly. So with that information as well, I think she has such a clear vision of what she wants to make. So I think like, me as a viewer, I don't understand what she's trying to tell me. But clearly, it's something. Mm. So I kind of just have to... I feel like I just yeah, have yeah, to yeah. give her the benefit of the doubt in definitely, this, in this episode. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I totally agree. And, like, yeah, she's obviously, like, an extremely, you know, interesting, talented, unique kind of filmmaker. Mm. So you can't... Even if there's things that it... Which, you know, 99% of the film didn't make sense to me. But I, I, I know that there's more to it. <laughs> That it that needs unpacking. Oh, such a headache. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of the like the visuals and the music kind are so great that mm. it is still quite enjoyable to watch. And towards the end, like the last maybe twenty minutes feels a lot more in line with organ mm. and is actually much easier to watch, even though it's like totally crazy at the end, but yeah, that that stuff was much easier to digest just because it felt like, oh yeah, yeah, this this is what I was expecting it's, this to be. Yeah, it's somewhat linear, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Whereas the first stuff is is just so fucking all over the place, like mm. tonally, visually, like it's cutting between different times, different characters. I didn't know who anyone was. Mm. So confusing. Yeah, and I definitely watched it in the worst po- possible frame of mind for mm. something like this, which is like tired. Yeah. And hungover, not you know, not willing to properly you know digest. Like, Try, yeah. Trying to find spiritual meaning in a fucked up film whilst hungover yeah. Yeah. is not anyone's idea of fun. Very very hard. <laughs> so the wrong feels up. very wrong for this film. That's it. I, I mean, I, I it's so difficult because it's difficult to say how wrong a film is. When I don't understand yeah, the film I, we're I was talking about, say the same thing. Like yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I'm not saying mm. that it, like it's good or bad or it's fucked up or it's. I don't understand the the message it's trying mm. to tell me. So, in someone's eyes, someone who is a firm believer in the Amida Buddha, yeah. this might be the perfect film. This yeah. is a great film, but for the average viewer, someone who doesn't know what the fuck they just witnessed, I think it's going to rank pretty high. Mm. But you know what? I'm going to give it an eight. Reason being is there 
there is a point to this film. There is a there is a uh, a message that she's trying to tell us. I don't. I haven't understood that yet. But there is something. So therefore, in the, at least the director's eyes and the director's vision, there is a purpose to this film. So mm-hmm. I can't. I can't go too high. But for the average viewer, if you were to say put this on for someone and be like, yeah, watch this. This is like this, you know, film off the back of the Japanese cyberpunk genre. They will watch this and just like their head would just turn into yeah. Swiss cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I'm going to say eight, you know, I it, but but I don't even know if that's right. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it last night and I'm like, I don't know, like a four initially. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Because it's it? not really, I, I don't know. There's nothing that struck me as totally totally fucked or anything mm, that's I, it I don't yeah. know like it's but, not like particularly violent or no gory it's yeah but it is actually that final frame of that cgi text really cranks it up because yeah. it just makes it go like wait did i just watch a religious film? it seems like some religious like propaganda yeah. so that cranks it up quite a lot Mm. like that one moment uh but i don't know Mm. i think i'm gonna say a six okay but i can't give you much justification for that that's fine (laughs) i feel like there is you know it's like it would be like seeing an experimental film and saying like oh you know a high Mm. rating for this like that's the sort of feeling i would get giving it too high of a rating so i'm gonna say six because i think she, uh, yeah, on repeat viewings, it would become less wrong. Mm. <laughs> but that CGI text pumps it up a little bit. <laughs> but fuck, that was uh, the hardest film to talk about ever. Yeah, I really just, I just, I <laughs> fucked us up. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Threw a spanner in the works there. Mm. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. I'm glad <laughs> I, I'm, I was really happy to watch it because I do, uh, yeah, like really like her work a lot. But, yeah, fucking hell. What a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but good news is... Oh, thank good. Next week... Yes, what are we doing? It's going to be much easier. Good. Got a lot of good news for you. All right, number one good news. A lot of good the news. The film is like 35 minutes long or something. Oh! Isn't that nice? That's like it. the shortest film we've done. <laughs> love it. Uh, second bit of good news. It's from fucking Australia, mate. It's an Australian film. Wait, that's where you're from. Yeah, that's where I'm from. I really wanted to do an Australian film, but it's quite hard to find an Australian film that fits uh, the mold of this podcast. Right. I got some bad news, though, as well. Good news for us. Okay. Bad news for everybody else. So we, we always say what we're watching next week in the hopes that the, like, two people that listen to this watch the film before listening to the podcast Mm. i don't think there's any way to watch this film right this is the most fucking obscure thing we'll ever do and the way that i have a copy of this is quite an unusual story okay which we'll get into i think you should say that for next time oh yeah yeah definitely saving that gotta flesh out the runtime so yeah i'm sorry if you can't find this film i'm pretty sure it doesn't exist online but next week we're watching the Bucks Party. The Bucks Party. Directed by Steve Jodrell. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Right, I'll uh, confirm that for next week. 38 minutes long. Nice. From 1978. Oh, old boy. Yeah. All right. So, 
I think I'm pretty excited to talk about something Australian. Mm. So I think it's going to be fun. Bucks party. Bucks party. Let's do it. The Bucks party. The Bucks party. Here we go. So also, please, please, guy, follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you. Me. I'm following us. Oh, okay. Am I not? No, you are. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, please uh, follow us on Twitter. We're at SMSW podcast on Twitter. So yeah, please follow us there. Please tell, like, other people about this podcast if you like it, because uh, we can't afford to advertise it anywhere. I wouldn't no, even no. know how to do that. No. No idea. Beyond my control. Yeah. Don't know. And um, <laughs> Ask the Amida Buddha. He'll do it for us. Yeah. And if you don't like Twitter and you want to send us an email or something, you can do that too. We're on Gmail at... Fuck, what's our jo- Gmail, mate? I, oh, it's, it's, uh, I should not know the, we had a Gmail. Yeah, we do. I told you a few episodes ago. <laughs> Um, yeah, you can email us at showmesomethingwrong at gmail.com if you want to send us some hate mail. Send or us something. some dick pics. Yeah. <laughs> but I think most important as well is like just do a rating mm. on the Apple Podcast, do a review, do a share on Twitter, tell your mum about us. Fan art. This all oh, <laughs> fucking fan art. What would that be? <laughs> just like a beautiful like montage of all the films we've done so far. We could have. That cunt from Mad Foxes, whatever his name was. That cunt from Infernal Rape. All the cunts. All the cunts. All the cunts. <laughs> and us cunts in the middle. Yeah, so do that. Fan yeah, art. Yeah, do that. Fan, Fan art. art. Here you go. Thank you. Game over.